All right, so on this episode of the Bully Crypto Podcast, we have Tim Rowley here with us. Welcome, Tim. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me here, Bully. No, thank you so much for your time. I know that uh, FTSOAU is doing a lot of work in the community, and we're going to dive deeper into that today. But first, before we get into all that is FTSOAU, I want to get into your background, Tim. My first question for you is, what is your background and how did you become interested in this new technology called blockchain technology? Right. Yeah. And it's it's quite um, it depends on how far back you want to go, really. Uh, so for, for me personally, I started when I was quite young, like before I was 18 years old, browsing forums. Um, and there was one particular forum in, in, uh, that I was involved with quite, quite a lot. Um, and had a marketplace on there. So you could buy buy things, you could trade things. And it was mainly for um, like video games. Um, and for example, I played a game called RuneScape back in the day. And you could trade um, gold on there and you could buy it as well. Um, and from different people. So on the forum, people would sell this gold. Uh, and one of the issues for me uh, was that I didn't have any way to sort of pay for it. Like uh, at the time you could use PayPal, but PayPal, you had to be 18 years old, you had to verify your account and it was a huge hassle. Um, and over time you sort of saw these cryptocurrencies come into play and there was like Ethereum, I think, and, and of course Bitcoin. And these were the currencies that people started using on these forums. So it's really quite interesting how I sort of got into it is that I, I started seeing it as a, as a currency. Um, so it was quite early that I sort of got involved with it. I never saw it as an investment. I never saw it as that. I sort of just used it as as it could be. Like I just used it to buy things um, on different forums and trade it. It was, I never really got into mining or any of that kind of thing. It was just really something that just happened. Um, and yeah, so over time it's, it sort of developed, I sort of moved away from playing video games and I became a bit more interested in business about building things, startups, all that kind of thing. And we started just diving a bit more into the actual technology behind it and how it can be used for other businesses. So for me, I started up a little little startup, um, which we try to help little businesses start using cryptocurrencies. So we would try to, like I, I was building websites, for example, like that, that was the, the main business purpose. Um, and we'll try to integrate cryptocurrencies for these little, for these little businesses. But at that time it was very difficult it's still very new people weren't it wasn't even being traded in in real life so it's it was a very difficult thing for me to even be trying um but yeah it's it's really how i sort of gets got started on it um and it's only more recently over the past year or so that i started diving into the the even bigger use cases that that cryptocurrency has so right now there's, there's my mind is exploding with ideas of what you can do with cryptocurrencies um, and now that I'm on Flare Networks, it's it's crazy about like all, all the things that I want to do, but I, I need to find the time for it as well now. <laughs> so now take us through your journey to finding the Flare Networks, right? Like what did that look like? What was the first cryptocurrency that uh, you came across when first coming into the cryptocurrency space? And how did you take that journey into learning about the Flare Networks? Because, you know, to know about the Flare Networks, uh, you got to be, you know, sort of like, in in the game like it's a very very like niche you know product a very new product so take us through that journey yeah so at the time um i was using avalanche a little bit uh which it's it's, it's also very new so it, it wasn't it's not probably not very well known either yet um but it is definitely growing um and 
the main reason I sort of got into it is my father was actually quite interested in he, he's quite a, quite um, a bit of an investor he's, he's looking at different currencies you know I see him on YouTube all the time just watching different videos from different uh, uh, creators um, which you know I never really expected my father to be involved in this kind of um, space but here here we are he, he's um, absolutely loves the thing he, he loves talking about it um, and yeah so he he's really the one that sort of spotted out avalanche and he was like hey look this looks great he, he liked the, the 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 project um and he sort of just started getting a little bit involved with it researching it a bit more um and he told me about it um and i sort of got involved as well uh so really i started you know with me i i as soon as i see an opportunity i start my, my mind starts going and I start building ideas. Um, so I started building like a little product on Avalanche Network, which, you know, I, I never really took to the full extent because then my father told me about this, this Flare Finance. So he heard about something which was called Flare Finance. Um, and this was on a different network, um, but it was sort of related. And I'm not sure exactly what connection there was between Avalanche and Flare Finance that my father sort of, yeah, got to that point. Um, but essentially he, he told me about flare finance which was on this flare network um and really it's as, as you'll come to see avalanche is very, is a little bit similar to flare networks um but really flare finance was operating on something called costin um and at the time costin hadn't released so we were just waiting out for flare finance to to launch which was on the costin network from flare networks um and costin networks costin well, if you don't know, is just a test network. It's something that has no value behind it. It's just a it's just a test network for people to test on. Um, so yeah, I got heavily involved with Flare Finance um, once it started picking up. Once it actually got released, uh, I started getting involved with the community a lot. I started making some videos on YouTube. Um, people loved my content. I eventually became a moderator on the Flare Finance Discord, um, and this is all because I just put so much time into it. And, and, and it shows like pe people see that and that they see how much value you can give to them and they just like to engage with you. So, um, yeah, Flare Finance is probably where it started for me. Um, and it got me really interested in, in, in the product and it sort of moved towards like I started seeing all these other opportunities like the, the FTSO system. Um, and I, yeah, I just got really, really uh, addicted to <laughs> playing around with this network. Now, for those who don't know what the Flare Networks is, can you describe the Flare Networks? Yeah, so it's um, it really gets quite complicated if you don't sort of sum it up. Um, but really, the Flare Network is it's a network in its in of itself. So it's its own blockchain network, but it's using the Avalanche consensus protocol. So as you heard me mention before about Avalanche, they have a, a consensus protocol um, and. Flare Networks uses a part of this and it uses FBA, which is Federated Byzantine Agreement, um, which is just another way of how consensus is reached. So it's a consensus protocol sort of network where um, it's not based on miners such as uh, Bitcoin, where you sort of mine to uh, get the state of the network. Uh, so really, it also it, the other important fact is that it actually uses the EVM. So it's not on the Ethereum network, but it uses the Ethereum virtual machine. So this makes it incredibly easy for developers to migrate to Flare networks and start building on it, um, which is really brilliant. Um, it's quite easy to get started, especially if you're uh, familiar with developing on Ethereum. 
So let's dive deeper into that and into the Ethereum virtual machine. So what are the possibilities uh, with that? Um, would I be able to, for example, mint, I'm just throwing out an example, mint an NFT on Ethereum and migrate it to, to the Flare networks and vice versa? Um, what are the possibilities uh, with that and why is that so beneficial? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and w with that, that, that's a very easy example. It's it's exactly the same process, really. So, for example, it's the pretty much the only difference is connecting to the network. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with RPCs, but it's basically the gateway to to connect into the network. It's really connecting to the nodes um, which connect you to the network. And once you're connected to the to a node on either Ethereum or on, on uh, Flare networks, it's the same process. You deployed in the same way. Um, the only difference, of course, is the fees and the, the native tokens. Now, before we dive into um, FTSOAU, this is a great, great, great discussion. You're providing great value. And I encourage each and every one of the listeners that if you find value in this content to share this content with as many people as you can. Now, before we dive into uh, the Flare Time Series Oracle ecosystem, I want to ask you, why did you choose to work sort of in the Flare Networks ecosystem as opposed to other ecosystems like Ethereum or, or other ecosystems like Solana, for example? Like what attracted you so much to the Flare Networks? Yeah, so it's it's a lot about how I got involved with it. It's it's not that I really chose it. I didn't really make a conscious decision to choose to work here on Flare Networks. It was more that I just got so invested with it. I, I loved the the community so much because you know they, I, ne I never had really engaged with any other community before, um, like I have here. So th this is really, I guess I put so much time into it already. It made no sense for me to even think about going anywhere else. Um, and, you know, everything seemed to just work. Um, I enjoyed it. And that was probably the most important thing is that I just enjoyed being there. And that's why I just wanted to make, create content and create products. And here we are. <laughs> now, FTSO.au, Flare Time Series Oracle, based in Australia. What is a Flare Time Series Oracle? And what role does FTSOAU play in relative to the Flare networks? Right. So, yeah, um, the, the Flare Time Series Oracle, it's a part of the uh, probably roughly about three protocols at the moment that, that Flare Networks offers. So there's the FTSO, which is the Flare Time Series Oracle. There's the F Asset System, which is essentially just a way to get uh, tokens outside of the network into Flare Networks um, and the state connector system, which essentially allows you to prove a particular state, which like, for example, you can prove that a transaction occurred on a different network. Um, and these are, it, it gets quite complicated. I'm not going to go too much into it, but these all sort of play a role in how it all connects together. They all sort of work together. Um, but in particular with the Flare Time Series Oracle, it's a way that we can get price data onto Flare Networks from outside of the network itself. So it's a way of getting uh, price data in particular in, in what we're currently doing with the system, but it can be it can be used for any kind of data. Um, but for right now, we're using the price data of different assets. So um, for, for 
for Flare Time Series Oracle data providers, what we do as a data provider is we get data from outside the network, from exchanges, from whatever kind of exchange. You can get the price data from wherever you want. So it can be decentralized exchanges, any centralized exchange, whatever you want. Um, and we collect that information uh, and we essentially just collate it and we can process it however we want and then we submit it to the network. Um, and we're in competition essentially with other providers. So the, the idea is that we want to be providing uh, accurate data. So data that is not tampered with, it's live, it's real time. Um, and this is, it's become quite a, quite a intricate process because there's such a wide window for us to submit data in, which is about three minutes. There's a three minute window and you have to determine when you're going to submit that data. Um, and it, it's, there's quite a lot that goes into it, which, you know, at first it doesn't seem like it's just submitting data, but that's quite, it gets quite involved when, when, uh, you're working with it. So is this an active process or is this sort of something that, you know, like you run and it's sort of like a hands-off process? Um, so yeah, a bit of both really. So you, you, you do get involved with it um, and you have to sort of track how you perform. And so right now you can sort of see your sort of reward rate or you can see how, how often you're submitting data. So making sure your uptime is high is going to be one of the most vital things is making sure that you're constantly submitting data. Um, but then of course is uh, making sure you're submitting the right data. So if your data is say you're submitting $1.20 for XRP, but the actual price is $1.10 and everyone else is submitting around $1.10, there's no way uh, that you're going to submit the correct data. Um, and something to uh, note here is that you get rewarded if you get the right data, if you submit the right data. Um, and what I mean by the right data is that it's in the median. Um, and the median is a very, it, it can be a difficult thing to get into um, because there's so many variables that contribute to what kind of price data you get. So what, how you process that information and where you're getting it from. There's so many different things that determine what your price data is going to be at the end of the day. If I'm understanding this correctly, you're taking data from many different sources and submitting it to the Flare networks, right? And if your data uh, matches up with the data of maybe other FTSO providers, then you're essentially doing a good job. Is, is that correct? Am I understanding this correctly? Yeah, essentially. And th there's something called vote power, which essentially it, it gives you your your um, your price data a bit more weight in um, the decision whether it's actually in the median or not. So it's a weighted uh, median algorithm that determines who is in that median. So yeah, absolutely. If, if you get into that median and you have enough vote power, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to be... Um, going to be providing what is known as accurate data on the network. So let's dive deeper into that vote power that you just uh, described. Um, what is um, vote power and how do you get more of it as an FTSO provider? Yeah, so vote power essentially is um, you, how much you hold, how much of the currency you hold. So each token is essentially just one vote power. Um, and on Flare Networks, the, the native, well, on, on Songbird, which we're currently working with, um, which is the, the canary network of Flare, um, it, the native token is SGB, which is Songbird. Um, so you actually have to wrap that token to WSGB. Um, and this, what essentially what that means is that it's just enabling smart contract functionalities and it allows you to, it allows a bunch of other functions such as delegating, which um, is a part of the vote, vote, vote power process. Uh, so 
what happens is you, you wrap your tokens into WSGB and that becomes a token that you can use to provide vote power. Uh, so the data providers in particular, they are searching for as much vote power as they can get. They want that vote power uh, because it's going to help them get the, the most, um, it's going to help them that their prices be weighted better. Um, so vote, voting power is going to be, it, it is essentially just saying we, we agree with what your data is um, and that's from the perspective of a delegator so delegators are essentially the community they are the people who hold the tokens and they they find the data providers that they like that they feel are doing a good uh, good job and they delegate their tokens which is a safe risk-free process essentially there, there's nothing um like the tokens never leave a delegator's wallet. So it's a, it's a really awesome system where you can delegate your vote power to someone else to do the job the, the job for you essentially um, in, in, in getting the system going. So I've heard this question asked uh, many times before um, when it comes to delegating uh, to um, the FTSO providers. Um, you're based in Australia and many people come to me and ask me, hey, um, do I have to be located in Australia to delegate my vote power to this FTSO provider? And I really don't know how to answer that question. Could you answer that question for the listeners? Absolutely. And the, the quick and easy answer is that it, it doesn't matter where the provider is located. It's all about your perspective, about what you believe. Um, it, there's no restrictions about who you delegate to. I mean, you yourself could become a, a data provider it, and it doesn't, it doesn't really matter where, where it is. So yeah, the answer is you can delegate to whoever you want. So let's pivot to the community. Let's talk about the community. Um, how important has the community been to you as an FTSO provider? Um, are you getting the support that you need? Um, how has your interactions been with the community? I know that many people interact uh, with you on Twitter, but can you just take us through that, um, the, these interactions that you've had with community members? Yeah, absolutely. And it's been brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, which, I mean, for, for FTSA AU in particular, we have been around for probably since the start of, um, of how, how it's been operating. So we, we're up there with uh, FTSO EU, who, you know, were probably one of the first there um, or publicly um, sort of in the, in, the, in the community. So really, we have been providing as much value as we can over a long period of time and people see that um, they see how much we've been uh, doing they see the content that we create um, and it's just created a fantastic platform for us to uh, engage with our community we we have a small little discord server where people hang out they have a chat they they come ask questions and anyone can come in and and, and chat like it's it's and, and that's the thing with this community even besides just the um our, our delegators essentially even other ftso providers pop in and say hi they, they talk they engage it's re a relatively um friendly sort of competition um in, in that terms but in in terms of our, our community, um, Neil is another big part. He's, he's the co-founder of FTSO AU as well. And he has experience in Japan. He had, had a uh, job up in Siemens in Japan and he, uh, he, he knows the culture a lot and he's been um, pivotal, pivotal in, in, in um, getting the, the Japanese community um, engaged with FTSO AU as well and sort of getting more international communities uh, sort of engaged with uh, FTSO AU, which has been really brilliant. So my next question for you is this, in a world where um, data providers don't exist or in a system where 
data providers don't exist. What does that look like and how does that sort of um, make uh, this ecosystem you know, less decentralized in comparison to a world where you guys do exist and you guys are providing this data to the ecosystem? Uh, so can you compare the two? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, there is quite a big difference. And there's a number of differences, um, such as what other value data providers provide on the network, um, which is directly based on being existing there um, and the kind of rewards that they get for being there but also the decentralization. I mean, if you did not have data providers, and right now on, on Songbird, um, there's about 28 providers. Um, if you only had one, if you only had one provider, then you're trusting just that single entity to provide price data um, and also uh, reliable, reliably. So, you know, if, if one provider goes down, and there's only one provider on there, you're, you're gonna be missing data. Um, and it is actually, is very crucial for, for the network to have this price data available for these other protocols that I mentioned earlier, for, for the F asset system especially. Um, and it's, it's um, you know, if someone who had, has an F asset on the network has price data that isn't reliable, their asset is at risk. They have an asset which is very, um, you know, it's, it, it's going to lose its value. There's no, there's going to be no security to hold that asset on the network. So it's important that the price data is reliable. Um, and you know, besides decentralization, FTSO data providers that they they are rewarded for what they do. They take a fee from um, providing data, uh, and this this gives a, a fantastic platform for them to actually continue development on the network. Uh, for example, FTSAU, we can afford to run a public uh, RPC, which is essentially just um, a, a network, a, a node for people to connect to the network, you know, and it becomes very difficult if you don't have any compensation, it becomes very difficult to run these kind of things. And we get thousands of people using our public endpoint, which the, the RPC. Um, and, you know, it takes a lot of resources to be able to do these kind of things. Um, and with the kind of rewards that data providers are getting, there's almost no reason why they shouldn't continue developing on the network. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of great things come from data providers um, because they do have quite a big stake in, in the network. Tim Riley, thank you so much for the value that you've provided to my listeners, to the community. I encourage each and every one of you who's listening to go down in the description below and check out the links to the FTSO AU Twitter page as well as their website. Tim, thank you so much for coming on to the Bully Crypto Podcast. I truly do appreciate the value that you've provided for the listeners today. Thank you so much. Appreciate being here.